Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee inviting you to join me for the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past featuring the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we're featuring our in-person guest, the star of one of the most popular daytime and nighttime television shows in the United States, Monty Hall. In January 1964, one of the most popular television shows of all time went on the air with a host, Monty Hall, and he's our guest on this edition of the Golden Days of Radio. Monty, welcome to the program. Thank you, Frank. Monty, you've been around for a long time, longer than, than most people who watch television uh, uh, think about. That's right. They still refer to me as a young Canadian. <laughs> well, and you I are... haven't been young or Canadian for a long time. That's not what I hear. I Well, uh, Canadian I don't know about, but young, the way you get kissed on uh, on television every day, I think you're probably the youngest and most handsome MC on TV. Oh, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. <laughs> you started uh, uh, in show business at uh, a very early age, didn't you? That's right. I started uh, before I went to school. About five uh, years old? Five years old. My mother was an actress mm-hmm. in Winnipeg, Canada, and she did a lot of little theater. And naturally, when they needed a little part, a part of a little kid, uh, I was uh, conscripted to uh, to play it. That was typecasting, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And it was also, uh, what do they call it, nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> no other kid had a chance in my mother's play. Uh-huh. No, and I evolved from that because my mother being an actress and a singer, I had quite a delight in listening and watching her. And it was only natural that when I went to high school, I would take part in high school productions, later college productions, later army shows, later radio and television and so on. Uh, now, you started in, in radio in Canada about, uh, what, 1948 or 49? 1940, actually. 19, you won't believe that, will you? 31 years ago, as a little boy, I started off uh, acting in uh, dramatic productions. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking of the quiz uh, part of your career. Well, but I was, I was quite a serious actor in those days, and I did very serious Canadian broadcasting uh, dramas. Uh-huh. And then when I went to college, I worked my way through college doing all types of radio broadcasting. I was a very serious broadcaster in my teens. And uh, then quiz shows, I did quiz shows uh, in Winnipeg, and I went to Toronto after the war, after graduation from college, and uh, finding that I had a very difficult time breaking into the acting field or the sports casting field, which I like, mm-hmm. I, uh, I didn't stick around looking. I invented a few shows of my own, and uh, the Who Am I show started in 1949 and became the longest, I suppose, the longest-running quiz show in Canadian history. Well, quiz shows are, are easy. That's like stealing money. You don't have to work too hard, and, you know, you become successful and wealthy. And uh, Where does it say that? I'm, I'm reading it right here. I it's, see. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you said Who Am I was the longest-running and most successful radio show in, in Canada. Ran for 1,875 performances. That's a career in itself, it isn't it? It certainly was. Well, you brought along a tape, and I'm going to play a clip of uh, of the Who Am I show. Now, I don't know what year this was. This I think this was... It, it's not marked on the tape, but I believe it was from about approximately 1958. All right. You sound you sound the same. Yeah. Just I was surprised when I listened to it myself. All right. Here's a, here is a, a clip of Who Am I? Hi, everyone. It's Monty Hall once again with Who Am I, Canada's favorite quiz show. 
Yes, this is the show with the most, because someone can win about 10,000 bucks on this contest. Well, actually, the sky's the limit as to how much you can win. So pay attention to this very exciting Who Am I game as it's going down into the stretch run right now. The clues have been added, making it more apparent every day as to who this mystery person is. Right now, we might be sitting on the threshold of a winner on today's program, depending on what letters come out of our mail drum. So stand by. The first letter or the next one might be yours. And the first one with the right answer will be the winner to our Who Am I jackpot, which could mean a total of anywhere from 100 to 10,000 bucks. It all depends on you. Okay. I want to know who it was. Will you tell me? Sure. All right. Are you listening to the clues? You haven't heard the clues yet. Oh, no, no. I, we're not going to play the clues. Oh, you're we'll not going to play, play the clues? Clip. Oh, oh, I see. Well, you had to hear the clues. The clues were uh, done cryptically. And uh, the, the mystery person was Shirley Temple. Ah. And uh, I, I thought it was very brilliant when I listened back to the clues <laughs> about the, in this, the, the marker on the street that was marked 19 and 20, and that was for the 19th and 20th letter of the alphabet. And, and uh, don't let this one go to your head, and that was for Temple. And, uh, uh-huh. And and certainly you'll get this one, and that was for surely. You know, uh-huh. it was cute. Is it too late to get a postcard in? And uh, no, you get it in with the, the <laughs> appropriate wrappers, and you might win something. Well, good. Now you said you did that show for a thousand. One thousand eight hundred and seventy-five over. Uh, that's over ten years and four months. And then you said, "I've got to get out of Canada and get into the United States, where they pay money." Well, I did the show while I was looking for work in the United States. I kept commuting back from New York to Toronto to do the show, and then run back. I just came on weekends, did it, ran back to New York, walked the streets, went back on weekends to kiss the family, uh-huh. go back to New York, walk the streets. Your family stayed in Canada? They stayed Canada. in Toronto at the beginning, yeah. Uh-huh. And it was a tough grind for many, many months. Well, now, you were well-known as the only uh, MC on television that didn't have his own show, uh, but that replaced everybody else for yeah. the summer season or the winter season or whatever. I, it, was, it was getting to me. That was when I first came down to New York. I was everybody's pinch hitter. Uh-huh. I, uh, I always did the show for somebody else but could never get the show for myself. And as a matter of fact, my first big break came about from one of those fluky, um, fluky things. Uh, I was not the original MC of Video Village on CBS. Mm-hmm. I was playing golf one day, and unemployed. What, do you, what does an unemployed MC do? He plays play golf. golf. right. I was a better golfer in those <laughs> days, I'll tell you. And um, I was yanked off the golf course by the producers of Video Village, saying that their MC had suddenly picked up and left and went back to Hollywood uh, for personal reasons. Mm-hmm. And the show was done live, and they needed somebody the next day to go on live on CBS television. So they brought me into New York, taught me the show that night, and the next day I went on live with it, and then it became my show. Mm-hmm. And it was just a fluke, a replacement who was there at the right time. Had the show years. been on before? Been on for about three months. Who was the MC? Our very good friend, Jack Nars. Oh, Jack Nars was the MC? Yeah, he was the MC, and then he flew back for a domestic problem and said he wasn't coming back to New York till he solved his problem, and he gave up the show, and I just happened to be the right guy at the right place. Now, after all the years of being the replacements and after all the years of winning all the auditions, I couldn't get the show the legitimate way. I had to get it through somebody else's misfortune, which was sad for him and lucky for me. Well, I think it's ironic, too, that the the program eventually was done from the West Coast. And that's the funny part about it. It wasn't... Four months later, that CBS decided to move the show to the West Coast, and had Jack stayed with it, he'd still be on the show, oh, or if the show had still been on the air. Now, how long was that show on? That was four or five years? Uh, two years. No, just two years. That, but that brought me to Hollywood, mm-hmm. and from that point on, everything broke my way. You now, know, after years of trying and walking the streets and doing every show imaginable in New York, this was my, my town. Now, from the time Video Village went off the air to the time that Let's Make a Deal went on the air, uh, did you do television? I don't, I don't no, recall. No, that was the... The only time in my career 
Frank, since I've left high school, and I can honestly say this, in 20-odd in years, it was the only time I was not on the air myself. I was producing my own package, First Impression, at the uh -huh. time, so I was a producer, I was working. I've never been out of work a day in, in 25 years. You were working uh, and spending time on the golf course, too. But I was not performing, and that was between the time that uh, Video Village went off and Let's Make a Deal went on, and I guess the time differential was uh, oh, about six or seven months. Mm -hmm. Let's Make a Deal, I think, has an interesting background. That show is really based on something you did years ago, isn't it? Yes, back in Canada again. I did a show called The Auctioneer, and the last ten minutes of the show, we did auctions on stage and so on, and the last ten minutes, I would go in the audience and give away dollars and five dollars to people for various objects, whether it was Chinese laundry tickets or uh, stamps or any unusual things, lipsticks and so on. And um, that wasn't even original with me because the man who created that show had done it years, or maybe a generation or so before that, maybe 40 years before, in the old Chautauqua circuit. The mm -hmm. old medicine man who used to travel the northern parts, the northeastern parts of the United States. And uh, they'd stop with their little wagons and they played this little game with the people to sell their patent medicine, you know. Mm -hmm. And he uh, he incorporated that into the radio show, and it was so successful that I, when I came down to New York, I tried to sell a show on television based on it, and no one would listen to me. Mm -hmm. I came to California, and it was only because I was now a successful performer and producer that they did listen to me. And even so, it took me a year and a half to sell the show. Well, I, I remember the first time, I, I believe it was the first time I ever met you, uh, was in my house. In, your, in the basement of your house. With Steve Hades. Right. And he said uh, that uh, he was working on a new idea for a show, and he told me what it was. And he said, Monty Hall goes out in the audience, and he takes a, an object, and he buys it or sells it or trades it or gives it away. And I said, Steve, that's a great idea, but what are you going to do the second week? That's what everybody asks us. And uh, you'll be celebrating your 2,000th show, 2000th right? 2,000th show in July. That's why I've always been so successful, Monty, I want to tell you. <laughs> the run-throughs were done in the basement of my house, and I think we've got to explain to the, to the listeners that there's a theater in the basement of the house, and run-throughs for many television shows have been done there, and I think uh, Let's Make a Deal has probably been the most successful. And then we did a few supermarkets and, and so yeah. on, and uh, performed anywhere where people would listen to us. Yeah, and then in January 1963, and this is a tape I'm sure you've never heard. No, I never have. But the first time Let's Make a Deal was ever done in front of an audience, uh, and this was just a studio audience. There weren't any cameras or anything else. No, although No prizes. We had little slips of paper. Uh, I, you had little slips of paper, and Wendell Niles was the announcer, and you had a mic, and he had a mic, and I had a tape recorder, and this is what it sounded like in January 1963, and I think you'll notice that it hasn't changed much since then. Would you make a deal... Trade up to $150 in cash for one of these three doors, knowing that behind one of them is $1,310 worth of valuable merchandise? Several people will have to make that decision during the next half hour. As we bring you the marketplace of America, let's make a deal. Now, meet America's top trader, TV's big dealer, Marty Hall. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome to Television's Trading Center, where we buy, sell, or trade anything and everything. Let's make some deals, all right? Madam, would you like to make a deal with me? Sure. Well, stand right up and tell us your name and your hometown. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Calvin Warren Conroy, 
I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. From Cincinnati, Ohio, Mrs. Conroy. Uh, do you drive a car? Yes. Do you have a driver's license? Yes. All right, I'll tell you what I'll do with you. The first deal is I'll give you $5 if you have your driver's license with you right here tonight. I'll give you 10 seconds to produce it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, when it comes to money, she really hurried up a little bit. I open the purse, out comes the wallet, in the wallet, in a pocket, in a pocket. No money. No money. I, I noticed that. You have, have you got... Why does it... I promise I won't reveal the date on it. Just give me the driver's license. Oh, oh, the picture, I think it looks very nice. And you have $5. That's my first deal. I'll tell you what else I'll do with you. Since you've been driving for how many years, would you say? Um, Too much to mention. All right. Here's $25 for you. If you can tell me in the state of California, this is a California license, whose signature's on the bottom of that license for $25? Mm. I'm sorry, I don't know. You don't know? Well, here it says Mary Conroy. It's yours. You missed $25, but wait a minute, there's one more deal I have for you. <laughs> you. You obviously don't look at this license very much, but there is there is a number on this license, and if you can tell me the number of your driver's license, I'll give you $250. Wow. What is the number of your driver's license? That's impossible. I don't know that either. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what it is. It's Y126-9697. Anybody knows oh, that. Anybody. I'm sorry you didn't get the $250. You left with $5. Thank you very much for making a deal. Oh, wait a minute. All right, Mary, here's your license right back. Wait a minute, you have $5. We've been having a lot of fun with you, but our deals aren't over. I think I'll stop with you for just one more moment and offer you what's inside that box on stage right now for that $5. Do you want to trade on? It's only $5. Of course, there could be anything under that box. You don't know what it is. You ready to make a deal? Sure. All right, give me the $5. I get the money. She doesn't want to let go. I'll, get the, I'll take the money back, and Wendell, what's inside that box? What every woman wants, a real live chicken. <laughs> That was done about eight years ago, and it seems that I saw the same thing happen just last week on Let's Make a Deal. You want to say we haven't changed very much, <laughs> and, and that was that was not even on the air. That no. was one of our... Uh, that was the audio pilot tape. Audio pilot tapes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the show's been successful, and, and you deserve it, and, and you make the show. Now, besides uh, Let's Make a Deal... Um, as you said, you've been in show business all of your life, and mm-hmm. people think you're only a television MC. But you are much more than that, as I will prove right now. In April 1968, we were both on a television show together, and this is Monty Hall, the philosopher. It was the Michael Blodgett show, if you remember, and he asked you some, uh, some questions about your family and, and this and that. Now, we won't go into all of it because uh, it doesn't fit this program, but you had a few remarks that I thought were quite fitting at the time, and I think they still are. So from the Michael Blodgett show in 1968, here are some of your words. I've been poor and I've been rich, and rich is better. <laughs> okay. I, that's number one. I've been unsuccessful and I've been successful, and successful is better. Yeah. I've seen guys in my office and my crew and my shows have been married three and four times apiece, and I've been married once, and my life is better. Mm-hmm. And I have my two teenage kids and a little girl, and I tell you that I've got it made. Mm-hmm. So if you want to know reasons why you shouldn't freak out and why you should really persevere a little bit, I'll stack up what I've achieved in my lifetime to the guy who wants to take it easy and say, let the world beat a path to my door, I'll wait. Yeah. And I'll show you a happy man as opposed to a guy who's still waiting and is never going to make it. That's telling it like it is. Hey, uh, where do you get that? Huh? Well, that was that was uh, from April 1968. I sounded pretty definite in my statements. Well, I? I think you were. You've done a lot of interview shows, and you've replaced, uh, as you said, 
replaced a lot of people, but you replaced uh, Joey Bishop on his nighttime show on ABC. The late night show, yeah, I did that for a while. And uh, I had my own interview show in New York for a year, Byline Monty Hall. Had a great opportunity to interview all people from all walks of life. I like that. And you're still looking to do a nighttime show. If I've had many, many offers over the last five or six years to do a, a late night talk show, but this contract, Let's Make a Deal, is so overwhelming. Uh, both financially and time-wise. You know, it's 52 weeks a year, six shows a week. Is that I, all? <laughs> I, I just don't have time to, to breathe. Uh-huh. And uh, I know you do a lot of charitable work. And last uh, November, uh, you were uh, instrumental, I, I understand, in the Wichita State and Marshall State University Wichita State Living Memorial. Yes. And uh, I want to talk about that for a second because I think that that was tremendously important and I, it was something that, that you were involved with and you set up. Yes, well, what had happened is that the previous year, by coincidence, uh, I was the guest of the city of Wichita. Mm. Uh, they had Monty Hall Day, and I flew out there, and it was put on by the uh, ABC station there who organized the whole thing, and I had a magnificent day. And uh, it, it included a parade through the town, an open convertible with the governor who flew in to join me, and uh, the parade and the show and the let's make a deal tie-ins that they had. I appeared in hospitals at luncheons at banquets, and I appeared at halftime at the Wichita State football game. And it was a great day, and I just, I, the people were so warm, I never forgot it. You know, I do a lot of personal appearances, but mm-hmm. that in Wichita, Kansas, just was a nice, warm, beautiful, it was about 10 degrees above. It wasn't that warm outside, but inside I was 100 degrees above. So a year later, I was, opened up the newspaper one morning, almost a year to the day, exactly, that I had Monty Holiday in Wichita, and there was the news of the Wichita State football team airplane crash. And many of these young kids that I had spent time with just one year ago to the day had died in this airplane accident. And I was completely, you know, you can tie in events, but the anniversary of the date hit mm-hmm. me, and I was very upset by it. And so I went to my manager, and I said to him, I would like to do something for the families of the of the victims of that crash. And he said, what would you like to do? And I said, I don't know. Maybe I can go back and do a, sh- a show in the field house and raise some funds. And so we phoned the station manager in Wichita, and he said, there must be something to this. It must be fate or something, because I just came back from a meeting, he said, at the university where we were proposing a show, and I suggested that we try to get a hold of Monty Hall, who was here last year. And he said he had just come back to a station was going to call me when I called him. So it was fate. And we did organize an all-star show, and we got acts that came in from all over America, the Young Americans, Kate Smith, uh, Bill Cosby, Ford and Hines, uh, you name it. We had the most fantastic show. They came from wherever they were appearing all over America. We, we got private individuals to fly their jets and pick them up and bring them to the field house in Wichita. And then we got 210 television stations to carry this two-and-a-half-hour show. And we raised, and incidentally, while this was all going on, there was a second air crash, Marshall University in Virginia. I think West Virginia, Mm -hmm. suffered its tragedy. And so we called them and said, once we're doing this, we would like to offer you some of the benefits of the show. And they joined us in that, too. And I don't know what the final tally was, but we did raise in excess of $600,000. And it was an unforgettable experience. I'm glad I worked that hard for it because the thanks of the families and the parents and the institutions and so on was more than was necessary. And I did it because I had that great feeling for Wichita. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, it turned out to be a great success. Of course, it'll never bring back the the people who were in the crash, but at least it brought some resources to their families. 
Well, I saw the show. It was a great show, and I wish we had time to play all two and a half hours. We don't. But you did have some closing remarks, which we're going to hear now. You know, as most of you know, the idea of my program, Let's Make a Deal, is for the contestants to constantly try to make a deal for something better than they already have. And I guess that's how it is in everyday life, too. Well, since I've been here in Wichita, I have seen certain qualities that have made me very humble and very envious. And with that in mind, I would like to say that I would like to make a deal for the courage that I have witnessed in the face of such adversity. I would like to make a deal for the bravery displayed by loved ones when it would have been so easy to crumble. I'd like to make a deal for the loyalty of the friends who will not allow anyone to forget the debt of honor that is owed to their many lost pals and buddies. And I'd like to make a deal for the undying devotion that exists for the widows and the orphan children with the noble promise that they will never be in want of anything that is humanly possible to deliver. I'd like to make a deal for the spirit that I feel here, a, a kind of team spirit that has permeated not only throughout the university, but in the hearts of everyone that I've come in contact with. And I'd like to make a deal for the unfaltering faith which quietly exists, but so loudly seems to say that all will be well again. I'd like to make a deal for the unselfishness in the giving, a giving that is coming in from all over the world so that the burden of those left behind will be eased. And I'd like to make a deal for the love that is glowing here in its purest form. For it is the most simple love of man for his fellow man. Yes, the love. And last of all, I would like to make a deal for the happiness that is sure to come from the many victories that the Wichita State and Marshall University football teams will know in the future. For they, along with each and every fan, have a oneness of purpose, and that is to give those members who gave their all a team that, win or lose, they will always be proud of. And so for all those beautiful qualities, I would sincerely love to make a deal. Thank you, and good night. Monty, that was a very nice tribute. And as I said at the beginning of our program, you're probably the most successful MC in television. Certainly the most kissed. Oh, well, and you, probably the most loved. You can't knock that. That's <laughs> Monty, what it's all about, isn't it? That's about it. Monty, I want to thank you for joining me and uh, invite you to come back again very soon. And thank you for all those surprises on those tapes <laughs> that I never heard before. You're welcome. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio and our salute to Monty Hall. This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next week for more stars and personalities from Radio's Golden Days. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service. <laughs>